Morning, church. What a delight, really, uh, a joy to be with you. I love this church, and if you're here for the first time or you haven't been for a while, uh, you've been missing out. There's some really great people who around you who uh, love to follow Jesus, and if you have, or just came and you're asking questions about that, um, we want you to have a place where you can ask all kinds of questions and feel good about that and not feel awkward about it. We're all in the discovery of who the Lord is together, and we're just pleased that you're here, and so welcome. So um, we have been in a series, but we've started about being an influence for the Lord, and if you've missed out a little bit of that, you can get online. I suppose it was um, in my teens, my early teens, when I first started to sense it, get under my skin a little bit, and start to react to this great thing that um, God has this huge mission for us. It's really a God-sized mission for us, and it's found, of course, in Matthew 28. Those of you who have been with us, you know what I'm talking about. It's to go and make disciples of every people, all people everywhere, to influence people everywhere, to love and follow Jesus. And it spoke to this adventurous, idealist side of me in that period of my life. I wanted to be some part of something huge and something lasting and meaningful and eternal. And I wanted my life to count for big things. And there's something about the mission of God that he has for us that's audacious. It's like way over the top. And you think about it, to reach every people, that's, that's a big thing. To be a world changer, that's an ambitious goal. And here's the kicker. that The Bible teaches us that God designed us for this. He is formed us or shaped us for this, his mission, and called us with purpose this direction. It's intended to be gripping and to seize our imaginations and to call out our very best energies and our gifts. But there's something about that mission, at least for me, that started to nag and started to get at me. I felt that it was overwhelming and impossible in, time, in terms of its scope for me. How could I possibly have the presumption that I'm going to somehow change the world? And as I got to know a little bit more about myself and my limitations and my weaknesses, I thought, how, how is that even possible that I could be called to this kind of mission? I know I serve a God of the impossible who loves to do great things with weak vessels, right? Me. But how is that even possible that God could use someone like me or God could use someone like you to do this kind of huge task to change the world for his name's sake? How would he ever pull this off? And was I destined to a life of frustration and discouragement because I would never like reach the goal of what God wanted for me? Is that what the Lord wanted for me? Or how he had designed me. And over the years, I've met countless believers. People who call themselves followers of Jesus. Who have quit on the mission. Who've just decided it's too large. It's too big. It calls out too much from them. And so they've just stopped and given up on it. They still go to church on occasion. In fact, some of them go to church every week. In fact, some of them are even here with us today. But just don't believe that they're really a part of the mission. And their Christianity has turned inward, has turned self-centered, and their faith thusly is small and weak. They have become like that 
commercial, one of my favorite commercials now, Settlers. Do you know, do you know that, that commercial that's out there with these family that are now settlers in the middle of the, you know, the world today? And that's what a Christian who calls themselves a follower of Christ without the mission is like. They've settled for a life without adventure, without joy, without leaning on the strong promises of God for them. There's signs, signs that we've lost the mission. When we start thinking about lesser things and get preoccupied or bugged with lesser things, we, we come to church and wish that the latte was a little bit hotter or the donuts were a little fresher or the, the carpet didn't have quite as many stains on it. Or, and we get our brain going on lesser things that the pastor wouldn't preach as long or he'd be a little bit more you know, adventurous and exciting or, or the worship team would have given a little bit better effort or sang the song that you liked or the drums weren't as loud. Man, I've got this long list of lesser things. But that's not who I've been called out to be. By the Lord God of heaven and earth, that's not how he's formed me. And when the church doesn't meet these lesser things and I grow frustrated, it's a clear sign that my heart has wandered from prioritizing the mission to bring the love of Jesus to lost people. Well, no wonder I've lost the joy of my salvation. Part of the blame, I think, lies squarely on the church. We become experts at making what's simple, complex, and programming the snot out of your life so you won't be next to the people that you're really truly called to be with and next to. We've come up with one more program or plan, one more thing for you to learn before you can tell people about the love of Jesus. And when the church loses sight of its chief objective and gets people into people pleasing and gets into the people pleasing business, then it's lost. Because we are in the Jesus-pleasing business here. That's, that's who we are. And that's what we're about. At a critical juncture in the life of the early church, it's found in Acts 15, they were wrestling over the heart of what it meant to be a follower of Jesus and what's the true gospel and how the church should operate. Should there be a whole long list of things, requirements for you to do? Or was it about relationship at its heart? And could people who are of different cultures simply come to place their faith in Christ and live for him? And that's, is that good? In Acts 15, they're wrestling with this, and they come to this critical conclusion that's found in verse 19 there, where it says, we should not make it difficult for Gentiles, people outside who are turning to God. We shouldn't make it more complex than it really is. It's actually pretty simple, isn't it? We shouldn't add all of our stuff to the simple gospel, the truth that it's about a living, breathing relationship with God because Jesus makes the decision really clear. It's incredibly challenging, yeah, but it's simple. It's not that complex for us. And yet I fear the church makes it too difficult. Why is it that people, followers, people call themselves followers of Jesus, Why is it that most of them are categorized best by these two statements? When they hear the word evangelism, they think, I can't do that. And then they think, I don't want to do that. Why is that? Here's all I know, that Jesus wants me to be very different, to react differently. He wants those who follow him to say, I love my mission. 
And I know I can do it. I, by the power and the strength of God living inside of me and leading me, I can do that. And I want to do it. If there are two things at the end of the year, only two things that we accomplish here at Bridges, and they are that people here say, I can do that. And, man, I love to do that. That's the only thing that happens here. I think the Lord God would be pleased. He'd be honored and delighted, and people would come to know him because we've embraced the mission of God in our life. Tom Mercer um, has written this wonderful little book called 8 to 15, The World is Smaller Than You Think. Tom's dad was my youth pastor when I was a little kid, and he now leads a large church in the high desert. And he wrote this book. And he says, he asks this question in it. What are the two things we can do here on earth, but we can't do in heaven? What are the two things that we can do here on earth that we can't do in heaven? Well, here's what I know. I loved worshiping with you this morning. I love it. Love the team. Loved Yuki and Harry's leadership. I embrace it. I love to look out and see you guys worshiping. And I, I just, I delight in that. But you know what? That worship is weak sauce compared to what's going to happen on the throne of God, Right? When we're in heaven one day, that worship is going to rock. And I'm not going to have one person around me who's, you know, afraid about singing too loud or out of tune. I'm not going to have one person around me who's thinking, oh, I I don't really like that tune. They're not going to have one person who's thinking, those drums are too loud. No, right? The worship in heaven is going to be so embracing and my heart is going to be so engaged. It's going to be so sweet. In heaven, worship's going to be better than it is right now, even though I like it. Here, I'm going to love it there, right? So in heaven, it's not worship, even though worship is a central part of who we are. And it's not fellowship. I mean, we are about fellowship here. It's why we do small groups to connect you to a place where people know you and you can be known and prayed for and encouraged in your walk with Jesus. Those small groups are essential to what we do, but the fellowship in heaven, right? The fellowship in heaven is it's not going to be filled with pretense or people trying to act apart or trying to hide their sin, or being self-centered. That's not the fellowship of heaven. The fellowship of heaven is being known fully and knowing fully the Lord God. And it's not going to be about my spiritual growth in heaven either. The spiritual growth is essential to the life of the church, and it's what we are about. It's one of the core things of what we're about to help you grow in Christ, to become a better follower of Jesus, a better disciple. But in heaven, we're going to know him fully. Now, it's just like in a mirror, dimly, Scripture says. But then, face to face, right? I'm going to know him fully and be known fully. So it's not about growth. What are the two things, the two things here on earth that I can do and not do in heaven? Here's the first. I can sin. (laughs) Yeah, we're all experts at that, aren't we? This week, I was grappling with my personal holiness. I believe you probably were too. Because we're experts at it. It's part of our fallen human nature to sin. And it's a struggle, right? Be honest. Yet, God redeems. Yet, if I confess my sin, he is faithful and just to forgive me my sin. And what? 
to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. That's what God does, it says, in his own word to me. Yeah, I can sin, but there in heaven, that's not going to happen because there I've left aside all of my brokenness and my bent and that self-destructive junk. All right, in heaven, there's none of that. So I can sin. Well, what's the other thing that I can do here right now that I can't do then? Well, we can communicate the grace of Jesus to a world that desperately needs it. That's what I can do. And I can't do that in heaven. We can act and speak in such a way that non-believers discover Jesus and his love in us and through us, and they embrace it. And we can only do that here and now. Right? We can't do it any other place. We're not going to do it in heaven, but we can do it here and now. And that's why Jesus called us to that. And yet we think when we hear that mission, oh man, I, I just couldn't do that. We're like Jeremiah. Uh, between services, Mike Reisler and I, were, my friend, were, were talking about this. He's, and he was in, um, in his quiet time in Jeremiah chapter 1, reminding me of this passage where Jeremiah's like, I can't do it. I could never do that. And there's a conversation that Jeremiah has with God. And the word of the Lord, it says, Jeremiah chapter 1 came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I called you out. There's a reason why I want to make you holy. I have a purpose for you, God was saying to him. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. That, men and women who follow Jesus, is you. That's you. And then I said, Jeremiah responds, Ah, Lord God, behold, I don't know how to speak. Is that your heart? Is that how you wrestle with the gospel and how to communicate it to your family and to your friends and people around you? I just don't know how to do this. God says, do not say I'm only a youth. For to all to whom I send, you shall go. And whatever I commanded you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I'm with you. I'm with you. Okay, God Almighty is with Greg this week as he tries to communicate to the people in his circle of influence, the people around him, his family, his friends, the people at work, the people at your school, the people in your neighborhood, that you connect with. The Lord God Almighty has your back, it says. You can do this. You can do this. This is his mission for you. And it's really not that complicated. The Bible answers that philosophical question, why am I here, in a very concrete way. The Bible says that you're here because God wants you to do something you can't do in heaven. It's to make sure that the love of God is expressed through your works and through your voice to the people who need him. It's really simple. And the gospel is not complex. You know this, right? It's just the ABCs. First, admit it. Admit that you're a sinner. And in our culture, in our day, that's really hard because we all have all these layers where people try to avoid their sin. You know, try to say, no, that's, that's, that's not really a reality. But actually, the Bible is very clear with it. That every person has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And you have to get to a place where you admit it. And in our conversations with people, we just acknowledge our brokenness and help them get to a place where they can acknowledge theirs. That they sin. And second, it really is about expressing 
that Jesus loves them. He just loves them. And he's given himself for them, that he has lived and died and risen again and ascended to the right hand of the Father, God, for them, to give them life. And they have to trust that, that it's not about their own stuff, their own works. They have to get beyond that. We have to get beyond it and just believe it. Just trust God at his word. So we have to admit our sin and we have to believe it. And finally, the C is we have to confess it. We have to come to a place where we stop going our own way and turn around, repent, and come to him and just lean on him for our forgiveness. That's it. That's period, the gospel. It's not complex. It actually is very simple. What if my life right now was not about the accumulation of more stuff or more degrees? What if it was about bringing people in my circle of influence to living faith? What if it was about helping people that I know and love, that God has placed me next to, bringing them new life and forgiveness and freedom from their addictions, to give them hope? Wouldn't that be worth embracing? Wouldn't that be a mission worthy of your life? So where do you start? Two quick Bible stories. You might be familiar with them. They're found in the book of Mark. Open your Bible if you have one. If you, if you don't have one, we provided some for you right around you. Mark is the second gospel, the second book in the New Testament. And if you've got it on your phone, you can just pop open your phone right now. And um, I will trust that you're not playing a game or getting back and texting somebody else. You're actually in the Bible on your phone. You can do that here. Mark chapter 2, starting verse 13. It's a story of Jesus calling this unlikely guy. A guy, actually, who had a reputation. He was a tax collector. That's what his job was. And in that culture in that day, that meant he was a collaborator with Rome, the enemy. And he was probably a swindler. Right? He had a reputation, and it wasn't good. If you were a tax collector, just give you grace right now. That's not your reputation. Relax. But it was in that day, in that culture. And this is the story in Mark chapter 2, starting verse 13. Jesus went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi. That's another word or another name for Matthew the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. So here's a guy who was an outcast, people hated. And Jesus stops a procession of people that are listening to him and wanting, you know, one more piece of Jesus. And he turns to this unlikely guy and he he calls him into relationship. He said, hey, come, come and follow me. Leave your, uh, your job, your stuff, and come. And I don't know what the background story fully is about this. All I know in this text, because Mark is, you know, he's great at the Reader's Digest version of the events. He, he just comes. He follows Jesus. He embraces the call to follow. He rose and follow him. And then, as soon as he follows him, Matthew or Levi, same guy, starts to think about how can I influence Who can I have influence? I've got a group of friends. And his group of friends didn't have a very good reputation. Right? His group of friends were guys he worked with, tax collectors. 
and all kinds of people who were great at swindling, and they had a great reputation of being swindlers and, and sinners, you know, as religious people would, would peg them. And so he throws a party for them. He wants to invite them to understand what he's just done. And as he reclined at the table, that is Jesus in his house, that's Matthew's house or Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners, that Jesus was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Who else would he eat with? I mean, if Jesus did not eat with sinners, would he eat with you? That's the point. And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. There's um, this great lesson here that Jesus turns to this outcast guy and he invites him into relationship. And the guy's first response is to gather his friends to hear the story. He wants them to, to listen and to know what Jesus has done for him. So he throws this party. And many of them had shady reputations. And Jesus entered right in because he wanted to be a friend of the broken. He wanted them to know life. That's story number one. Here's story number two of another really broken guy in just a different way. Mark chapter five. So Jesus is now with his disciples and he decides to take a a trip. It's outside their their usual comfort zone because the guys in the boat, his disciples were all Jewish. And he goes to a place where they would not go. They would never go because two things were poisonous about this place. First, it was a place where there were a lot of tombs and that would make you unclean, according to their customs. So they never go there. And second, it was next to a big pig ranch, apparently. And they're Jewish, so they would not go there. But that's where Jesus takes them. Mark 5. And they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. That is, he was demon-possessed. He lived among the tombs. So he lived in these caves where people put the dead to decompose. And that's where he lived. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles into pieces. Think about the life of this guy who was not like this at one point, but became like this. They... They had, he had suffered through all kinds of abuse, really horrible things that happened in this guy's life. And now he was alone, living out of these tombs. And no one had the strength to subdue him night and day among the tombs and on the mountains. He was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. He was broken in every way. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? What are you you even doing here? Do you know who I am and what I'm about? Yeah, the answer is yes. That's exactly why Jesus was there. I adjure you by God, do not torment me. 
For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. So this unclean spirit, this demon, was speaking through the man. And Jesus asked him, what's your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we're many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. And now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, that is the demons, begged him saying, send us to the pig, let us enter them. Jesus has authority over them. And they start begging him. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000. And they rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea because Satan is always about destruction, always about everything in this earth. And the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And you would think that they would celebrate. That God was in their midst and he had done this great thing. But instead, they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And he was getting into the boat. The man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with them. Jesus, let me me come with you. Let me leave this place, place of my brokenness, and let me just escape it and go with you. And you would anticipate Jesus to say, okay, come along. And he did not permit him, verse 19, but said, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. I have something better than just following me around, Jesus says to this man. You've been broken. Now you're healed, and you have a mission. Go tell your friends. Go tell your friends about what just happened. Tell them your story. Tell them about the mercy of God for you. That's your job. I've got something important for you to do. And proclaim that. And he went away, that is the man, And began to proclaim in the Decapolis, that's the whole region around, ten cities around, how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Man had a job. It was to reach his circle of influence. It's the same job that you and I have. When you think about your mission, you might be overwhelmed by the scope of it. But the Lord actually is very simple in how he directs us, I think that we have as a first step this mission to reach the circle of influence that God has for us, our family and friends. And that's how the gospel spread in the New Testament in typical fashion. There are other ways that it happens, ways outside the box that are amazing, but typically the way that the gospel spread was just as people start inviting their friends. Cornelius, in the book of Acts, when he comes to faith, what does he do? He gets his household to, his family, his friends, the people around him, and he draws them to faith. The woman at the well in John chapter 4, what happens to her when she discovers grace by the Lord? She goes, gets people, family and friends, and gets them and tells a story. It's how it happens in Scripture over and over again. The Greek word that uses this friends group is the word oikos. It's our extended family and friends that God calls us to. One of the great joys in my life is to hear people's story of faith. I got to hear them, a lot of them. 
And uh, it's always different, always unique how people come to know the Lord. But there is a constant theme, probably in 95, I don't know what the stats are, but 95% of the people come to the Lord in faith in this way, that they had a family member or a friend that they saw Jesus in and they heard about the Lord from. That's how they came. It wasn't random. God had called that person out to be a voice in their life. Just like he calls you out to have a circle of influence of people that you can reach. I can't reach them. That's not my job anyway. I'm called to reach my circle of influence. Your circle of influence is very different. I don't work the same place Titus works. I don't, I'm not in the same neighborhood as Olin. I, we're all in different places in our life where God has called you to. And so Pia can influence people differently than Keith can. We've got different circles of influence here where God reaches in your place of work and at school. And he calls us to those people first. What if you knew with 95% certainty that the Powerball ticket you were purchasing was a winner? Okay, that's a bad example because that's just going to ruin your life. Don't buy them. Okay, that's a stupid investment. Better example. What if you knew with 95% certainty that the treatment regimen that you were going to take for your cancer was successful? Would you choose that? It just makes sense. And it makes sense strategically for us as individuals and for us as a church to think about the ways that people come to faith in Jesus and to pursue that. And that's why it makes sense for us to pursue those people. There's another interesting study that's been done about the people who don't know Jesus yet in our culture. And one of the results of it was that 96% of the people who were not churched, don't know Jesus, would be at least somewhat likely to come if someone invited them, if someone took a risk. It doesn't mean that if you invite people, they're always going to come, but they're going to start to think about it because we know that they are struggling without relationship with God, and they need freedom. And yet, interestingly, only 2% of the people that go to church on a regular basis actually are active at inviting their friends. Why is that? Is it because they don't like their church? Or they've come to some place where they've abandoned their mission? I hope it's neither case with you. I hope that you have come to know that you can do it by the power of God and that you would love to embrace the mission and that that's what we're about. Um, Sue uh, was just sharing, my wife Sue was just sharing how she was really surprised that a friend of hers was going to come to Sweet Friday because it was an unlikely person, right, that she had invited. And many of you ladies I know have invited friends to that. And if you're not part of it yet, just just. Come and ask somebody because the gospel is going to be clear there. We try as a church to be your partner in this, but it's your job. It's not my job. It's your mission. And it's a great God-sized mission that he's called you to. Even if you think, I don't, I don't have the voice. I can't speak. God says, no, you don't understand it. I, I'm behind you. I'm with you on this. So how do we get there? I'd love for you to start here. Inside your bulletin, you've got a little card. It's a little card that says 8 to 15. 
And we want you to think about the people that God has placed in your life because he's done it intentionally. It's not random. Some people that are close to you that need the influence of the grace of the Lord Jesus. Now, you might be saying to yourself, wait, if you've been with us, wait a second, didn't we do something like this a couple years ago? What are you doing? I'm saying a couple years ago, that was really great practice. And for us, we have to keep it out there in front of all of us. Keep the mission in front of all of us, the practice in front. So I want you to think about who are those 8 to 15 people in your life that God has strategically placed in your life, in Tim's life, not my life, because Tim works at a different place than I do, and he's got a different neighborhood than I do. He's got a different circle of influence, a different family than I do. So who are those people? And start to think this week and start to jot it down about people that are in your circle. And then think about this. Would you start praying for them on a consistent basis? Just start praying. Now, God has already had them and targeted them. He's got them in his eyesight because he placed you in their life. And you are in their life the influence of Jesus, the ones the ones that are to bring the influence of the grace of God into their lives. So here he knows. But when I start praying about that, something happens. First, God loves to answer it. Second, I change. I start thinking more about the people that God has placed in my life. I start thinking more about my mission. I start thinking about how is it that I can communicate the love of Jesus to people if I'm praying for them actively, I'm thinking about them. So start praying for them on a consistent basis. Focus on the outcome. Don't be discouraged if you're not all of a sudden having people call you up tomorrow and ask about Jesus. Just focus on the outcome of what God wants to do in their life. It's going to be uncomfortable, yeah. But start praying about how to express the love of God because the outcome is this. The outcome we want is people experiencing new life in Jesus. People experiencing reconciled marriages and renewed families and addictions conquered and hope restored. People experiencing what it's like to love Jesus and have real purpose in their life that lasts. It's about you pleasing Jesus, us being a church that brings delight to God. And focus on your world. Don't get overwhelmed with how huge the job is. Just focus on your circle. Your role is to display the grace of God, how much he's loved you, to tell your story, to display God's grace and explain your faith and let those conversations develop over time. And every word we speak and action we take is to demonstrate his goodness. Why has God kept you here and not taken you into heaven so far? Because he wants to do something that he can't do in heaven. He wants to do something here on earth in you and through you to reach your circle of influence for him. Um, Those of you who know me know that I'm an optimist. I'm an optimist because Jesus rules, right? I'm not a pessimist. God wins, and I'm on his side, so I've got to be an optimist. But I've got that personality quirk inside of me, and so because of it, I have these great expectations that God would bring you and this church and me to a place where we can say about the gospel and the mission God has for us, I can do that. And second, 
I love my mission. I love that. And I'm going to pray right now that God starts to birth that inside of you. Would you pray with me? Father, um, I just know that some of us just live in defeat, discouragement. We haven't seen masses of people come to faith in you. And so we've just checked out on the mission. And that does not please you. And it just frustrates us and brings us to a place where there's very little joy, very little adventure in our faith. And I pray that you would awaken by the strength, the movement of your spirit in us, that we would catch a fresh wind, that we would understand your mission for us and have confidence that you can do it in and through us and that you want to, that we can do this and we can love it. I pray for those who came this morning who don't even know you yet, that you would give them such a hunger, desire to know you and a clarity that it's really actually simple. If they would just acknowledge it, own it, admit that they're broken before you, get honest. And they would place their trust no longer in themselves, but trust you. And they would just confess before you their brokenness and turn to you, that you would make them your son, your child, your daughter, And you would give them a life worth living with a mission worth embracing. We pray these things for the honor and the pleasure of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. For more information on Bridges Community Church, please check out our website at www.bridgescc.org.